Hello and welcome to episode 14 of EV Brief, your weekly electric vehicle and sustainable transport podcast. My name is Jonathan and on today's episode, we'll be looking at how battery technology is changing shipping from ferries in Norway to plug-in hybrid cruise ships. We'll also look at the US's largest offshore wind farm, which is set to generate 1.2 gigawatts of electricity when completed in 2020. Over to Tesla, and if you're sick of mistruths being spread around EVs, cleantechnica.com has a new resource called the Tesla Myths page. Also in auto news this week, Nissan Australia finally launches the Leaf EV down under after some considerable delays, but uh, what does the Australian media make of it? And finally, global auto sales are in decline in many markets, but the Indian vehicle market is bucking this trend. Can EV manufacturers take advantage of this and convince Indian consumers and regulators that electric is the future? Let's get into today's show. We often forget how many of the world's goods are moved by ships crossing the oceans and also how many millions of people take ferries and cruise ships every year. Shipping accounts for around 3% of the Earth's total greenhouse gas emissions and a considerably higher percentage of dangerous pollutants such as sulphur and nitrogen dioxide are present in heavy fuel oil used by ships. We've looked at Norway's electric ferry on the podcast before and the emissions and cost savings from operating that particular vessel have been massive, leading to further demand around the world. Reuters brings news that the cruise ship operator Hurtigruten in Norway has commenced operation of two hybrid engine cruise ships between Norway and the German port of Hamburg. While the ships will be running on marine fuel most of the time, the ability to combine the diesel engines with electric hybrid technology means that Hurtigruten can expect to cut fuel use and CO2 emissions by 20% per year, estimated at around 3,000 tonnes. Where possible, the ships have an electric-only runtime of 45 to 60 minutes. The ships are purpose-built by Montex Shipyard in Poland for polar expeditions with an ice-strengthened hull, wave-piercing bow and diesel engines by Rolls-Royce. The ships are also fitted with a catalytic reduction system to meet Tier 3 nitrogen oxide limits in emissions control areas, as specified by the International Maritime Organization. If you're interested in taking a journey aboard one of Hurtigruten's new hybrid ships, I'll include more information on their routes in the show notes. Now we're used to hearing about Europeans taking advantage of the North Atlantic and Norwegian sea winds for wind power generation, but the United States has typically been slow to adopt offshore wind technology. Now, however, we have confirmation that the state of New Jersey is partnering with Orsted to design and build a 1.1 gigawatt wind farm off the coast of Atlantic City. Dubbed Ocean Wind, the farm is expected to take five years to complete and will power around half a million homes and provide 15,000 jobs, though presumably this includes jobs during the construction as well as the operation phase. Offshore wind is becoming more popular in the Northern Hemisphere due to falling turbine production costs and an increase in reliability. This is leading to an increase in average power generation from turbines from just a few years ago, and I hope the economics of offshore wind might start to make sense in Australia and New Zealand over the next few years. Moving to automotive news now, and those of us who are EV fans are used to dealing with FUD, that is fear, uncertainty and doubt, and specifically that aimed squarely at attempting to discredit the viability of electric vehicles and battery technology. 
Whether it's fake videos, media influence, or the big car makers hanging on to fuel burning technology for dear life, the level of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that Tesla has had to deal with is, I would say, incomparable to any other car manufacturer. While we've discussed issues around the lack of positive Tesla advertising on the podcast before, the good news is that cleantechnica.com has launched a Tesla Myths page, and Vijay Govindan from Cleantechnica states that, quote, we simply want to set the record straight regarding various Tesla myths, end quote. The goal of the myths-busting page is to provide a common voice to counteract outrageous Tesla myths and legends. Each revision will become more polished, thorough and organised over time. The idea is that the community can submit and respond to myths to add to the resource and then people can share the links with family and friends. This is definitely a fantastic resource even if you are aware of the advantages and benefits of EVs and I'll link to the page in the show notes. In other Tesla news, many international fans of the brand may not be aware that the United States has rather, shall we say, antiquated anti-consumer laws at state level. And in fact, 11 states have a total ban on manufacturers selling vehicles to consumers directly in the manner that Tesla pioneered. Nine states allow limited sales with a cap on number of showrooms, and 10 states offer pretty much unrestricted sales, mostly enforced by various court rulings, however. Changes to laws have been fought by legacy car manufacturers such as GM and Ford, as well as state dealership associations and franchises. These laws originated in the 1930s and were originally designed to protect manufacturers from the troubles associated with interacting with consumers such as paying for staff, premises and holding inventory. When franchised automotive dealerships started to take on this role, purchasing vehicles from the likes of Detroit's finest auto companies, they lobbied state congresses to enshrine protections into law to ensure their everlasting viability. Fast forward to today and Wisconsin was close to allowing Tesla to sell direct to consumers in the state, for the third time, I might add, with pro-Tesla and pro-free market Republicans convincing their counterpart senators to include a direct sale provision in the state's budget. This gave Republicans enough support to bring it to the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, for signing. Now, you would expect the Democratic governor to sign the bill, right? Wrong. Evers killed it and vetoed the bill. Electric.co reports that Evers justified his decision by saying, quote, I am vetoing this provision as I object to significant changes to existing motor vehicle dealership law and the consumer protections they provide to Wisconsin occurring late in the state budget process and without the opportunity for adequate public input and debate, end quote. Now much has been said on this topic over the last few days and it's clear that existing laws do little for consumer protection and much for the protection of the dealership cartels, sorry, associations operating in the United States. As you can imagine, the Wisconsin Automobile and Truck Dealer Association were strongly against these budget changes, and Electric.co reports that, somewhat coincidentally, the aforementioned association donated $14,000 to Governor Evers' last political campaign. I'll leave that little nugget of information about political influence as some food for thought. So the Nissan Leaf has been on sale in European and US markets for a while now, but it has only just launched in Australia this week. Priced from $49,990 plus on-road costs, expect to pay around $55,000 by the time it is parked in your driveway. That means the LEAF is priced competitively with Hyundai's electric Ioniq and about $15,000 less than the Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus version. With a 40 kilowatt hour battery pack and an electric motor producing 110 kilowatts and 320 Nm of torque, the LEAF provides decent performance in a real-world range of up to 270 kilometres. 
Gone are the cute styling details from the first generation Leaf, replaced by, in my opinion, a rather conservative hatchback design with many vertical design elements that tend to lead the eye downward, imparting a droopy design aesthetic. Compare that to Hyundai's Ionic with a strong horizontal design element theme, which tends to accentuate the width and stance of the car and lead to a more purposeful aesthetic. Design is highly subjective, however, and the good news is that the Australian media have been generally very complimentary of the new Leaf. Craig Duff from news.com.au was impressed with the specification of the vehicle, complementing the inclusion of a high-resolution display, front heated seats and heated steering wheel, and autonomous emergency braking. Mike Costello from Car Advice praised the silent and punchy driving experience, spacious interior layout, additional driving range over the Ionic, uh, but criticised the lack of telescopic steering wheel adjustment and lane assist functionality. The Leaf offers much improved handling dynamics, a cabin free of noise vibrations and wind noise, and an 8-year 160,000km battery warranty. Nissan has often spooked the future potential for Leafs to offer reverse charging where customers will be able to draw electricity from the car's battery to power their homes. But as this has not been approved uh, from a regulatory perspective yet, we'll leave that feature for now and hope that it becomes an option soon. Finally on today's show, Entrepreneur.com brings us news that 2019-2020 will be the turning point in the Indian auto market for electric vehicles. Nazreen Nazir writes that Kia and Hyundai are collaborating on a low-cost electric vehicle for the Indian market, while the Kona Electric has in fact just launched in India this week for between $29,000 and $35,000 US dollars. MG expects to launch its EZS SUV in December at a cost of around 25 lakhs or 35,000 US dollars, while Maruti, Suzuki, Mahindra and Tata all have electric vehicles planned for launch by 2020. Now obviously the cost for electric vehicles in India is very high and many cities and towns lack proper infrastructure to support an electric vehicle market. Indians recognise, however, that there are many benefits to EV ownership and EV heavy vehicles, namely a reduction in air pollution in heavily trafficked cities. McKinsey & Company reports that India is uh, expected to become the world's third largest passenger vehicle market by 2021, with a projected annual GDP growth rate of 7% through 2019-2020 and rising incomes with an estimated 60 million households entering the consuming class by 2025. Education, employment and salaries will lead to a huge increased demand for mobility as well. Now, while we in the West may scoff at India's attempts to curb air pollution and particulates in the air, the Indian government is actually doing far more than countries like Australia and the United States. The McKinsey report demonstrates that the government, along with supporting industry, seeks to mandate an equivalent Euro 6 emissions standard by 2020 and continue to improve fuel efficiency standards 10% year-on-year between 2017 and 2022. From a regulatory point of view, India sees the importance of EVs, hybrids and plug-in hybrids as essential to meeting a 2025 average target of 100 grams per kilometre of CO2 emissions per vehicle. There's plenty of detail in this report, so I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a picture of a rapidly growing economy coming to terms with balancing growth, emissions, jobs, technology and global influences makes for a great read. That's a wrap for episode 14 of EV Brief this Monday, July 15. Make sure you subscribe to EV Brief on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support the show, the best thing you can do is head to iTunes or your podcast app and leave a review. It really helps get the show out to more people. 
You can also contribute at patreon.com slash evbriefpodcast. And thanks so much to my first two Patreons for their support. My name is Jonathan. Thank you guys so much for listening to EV Brief, and I'll see you next week.